Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Tonight we're carrying on with a series called Eternity Matters. And um, I don't know if you caught part one of the series, but I absolutely loved it. At Tableview here last week, Mark did a phenomenal job of introing. Um, at Milnerton, if you don't often get out to Milnerton, go listen to Gabs' um, sermon from last week's Sunday morning on our website. It really was a phenomenal introduction to a series that I believe is pivotal, not only for life changes, but for the local church. If we do not have a perspective of eternity, we will lack perspective for our entire lives here on earth. If we do not have a perspective that actually for us as believers in Christ, it does not end on the day that we die, we will make decisions in this life that are not decisions that glorify God. And so what we're doing is actually we want to spend time preaching about what it means to live now because we have to live now. Guess what? You have to go to work on Monday. I know. How exciting when we have a vision of eternity. You have to go to varsity, you have to go to school, you have to do your chores tomorrow. You might have to clean your room for the teenagers in the house, for the once every six months that you do it. But actually, we've got to live our lives. And I think sometimes as uh, Christians can get sl- uh, slip into this way of thinking that says, well, you know what, eternity is the most important thing, so I'm not even worried about now. But no, but actually the truth is that when we understand eternity, now is very important. When we understand eternity now is pivotal for us as believers. You see, we need a perspective change sometimes. We need a different view sometimes. You know, we have the most incredible view of Table Mountain from Bloberg. Am I right? You walk onto the beach. There's this picturesque, beautiful mountain. I'm sure many of you have spent lots of time on the beach in the last few days. It really is unbelievable. But you know what I love is if you drive into the southern suburbs, kind of into Newlands and that area... You're seeing the exact same mountain. Does it look the same? No. It looks completely different. It's right up in front of your face. It's a completely different perspective. You get a different view, and you get a different understanding. From Bloberg, it looks like a mountain that's flat. In Newlands, you can see the landscape and the trees and the forests and all these beautiful things. And I believe sometimes Christians need a perspective change so that they can change the way they live their lives. Actually, I think all people sometimes need perspective changes to understand how to live a life that brings glory and honor and praise to Jesus. Tonight, I want to tell a fun little story. A couple many years ago, or not too many years ago, there were two um, uh, students at Harvard University, an incredible, illustrious university to go to, and they were two clever guys. They were in the tech space at Harvard, and what they decided to do was they decided to um, create a website, and they created a website, and this website was called FaceMash, and basically, it was this terrible website that kind of rated how people looked, and people could go give opinions on things. And it was not well received by Harvard University when they released this website. And so these two young students were wrapped over the knuckles for releasing this website. They were asked to to take it offline. And, And then a couple of months later, one of these Harvard students had another idea for another website. And he went to the other guy and he said, hey, do you want to help me build another website? And the guy said, hey, let me decide. And he went and he spoke to his dad about it. His dad said, hey. You got into trouble the last time you hung out with this guy. The last time you did this. I don't think we should do that. 
And so he went to his friend and he said, actually, you know what? I'm not going to get involved. And so Mark Zuckerberg decided to build Facebook on his own. And he built Facebook on his own. And his amazing friend, Joe Green, never got the share of Facebook that he would have gotten had he said yes that day. Now, we know this. And actually, what we would understand is that if he had said yes that day, he said no. But if he had said yes, he would have got a 5% stake in Facebook, which doesn't sound very impressive. I mean, 5%, who really wants 5%? Well, 5% today would equate to approximately $7 billion. That's a lot of money. You can imagine Joe Green sitting in his house going, wow, I should have said yes. But actually, you know what I find so interesting about that story is that actually, I can imagine Joe Green sitting in his bedroom or wherever he is now going, if only I knew, if only I knew what would happen. If only I knew the end. If only I knew that Facebook would become a multi-billion dollar business, that it would acquire other multi-billion dollar businesses, that it would become this conglomerate that has changed the way our world works. If only I knew. And you know, I think so many people get to the end of their lives and they go, if only I knew. If only I knew eternity existed. If only I knew that that thing would happen, or if only I knew that um, ad, that adventure or that venture would pan out. I want to tell you that God has given us His Word, and in His Word are all the answers to all the "if only I knews." All the "if if only if only I knew what would happen at the end." Guess what? We do. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and it's got to change the way we live. Do you have a vision? For your life, not a vision that is, not a mood board. Has anyone here ever done a mood board? Those are wonderful things. I cannot do mood boards. I don't, I don't know which magazines to go and get photos from. And then you see the men in the magazines. You're like, I cannot become any of these things. Too chubby. And actually you give up on the mood board. But actually I think so often we abdicate vision because it seems scary. But actually as believers we have to have a future in mind. We have to have a, God, I want to leave a legacy that impacts for years and years to come. You see, when we have an eternal perspective, when we have a perspective that actually, Mark did such a beautiful job of an illustration, which is actually Francis Chan's illustration, but a long rope. And actually, we would say if the rope went from that wall to that wall, you go, well, actually, that's life, that rope. Life on earth is about that much of it. You see, when we get that perspective, all of a sudden... Our decisions change. We were sitting together as a life group. If you don't know what a life group is, please chat to our Connect team afterwards. They'd love to get you involved in one. But my life group and I were together this Tuesday evening. And I just said, hey, and we were talking about the series. And some people made amazing statements. And I just asked this question. How does understanding eternity affect my today? Because it's a beautiful concept. It's a beautiful concept to think eternity. Wow, we're going to be with Jesus forever. We're going to worship Jesus forever. It is an incredible concept, but that understanding, and the Bible would use the word revelation. Revelation is a heart understanding of the truth about God. That's got to affect my today. It's got to affect the way I make decisions, the way I live, the way I process And I would ask you this evening, how does understanding eternity affect your today? Maybe it changes the way you make decisions. Maybe it changes the way you approach your marriage. 
Maybe it changes the way you approach your boss tomorrow. I believe that it has to affect us. And so tonight we're going to go down a little bit of a journey. But before we do that, I'd love to read some scripture. Is that all right? It'll be on the screen behind me. It's Matthew 6. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, a famous portion of scripture. And Jesus is teaching. All of these um, scriptures are in red letters. If you see red letters in the Bible, it means Jesus himself was speaking. And we're going to read together. It starts like this in verse 19. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But actually, that word money is mammon. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying, it's a great question that Jesus asked. It's not just a cool ethereal, it's a great question. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If I had those 16 verses for the rest of my life, I'd be able to live for Jesus. It's this phenomenal exposition by Jesus on how to be a follower of Christ. And so now we're going to focus on a particular portion of it. Verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You see, this is not the first time Jesus uses these words in the Scriptures. If you go to Luke 16, Jesus is talking about a master and his manager, and he tells a story, and then he ends it by saying, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And there are multiple times in the New Testament where Jesus makes this statement. And is it not fair to say that if Jesus repeats himself, we should probably listen? Is it not fair to say that? And so tonight we are talking about this thing called mammon. And in your text, in the, your modern translations, they use the word money, which is the correct translation from Hebrew to English. But actually that word mammon is a loaded word. You see, the very word before it, you cannot serve both God, that word would be translated Yahweh in Hebrew. Now, if you said God to a Jewish man, he'd go, okay. If you said Yahweh to a Jewish man, it would invoke a response. Because the word is loaded. It means, Yahweh means glorious God. 
It is this word in, in the Hebrew culture that had power. And so when Jesus uses the word mammon, he's not simply talking about money. You see, one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible is the scripture that says, money is the root of all evil. No, correctly said, it is the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so when Jesus is talking about mammon, what he's saying is that mammon is not money itself. Rather, it is the pursuit of or love of money. It is the obsession of wealth. It is when we take money, and when I say money, I, I, I largely mean provision. When we take our provision and make it a God. Now, you see, for many of us in this room, you might go, well, I don't do that. Well, what do you worry more about? See, Jesus says, do not worry. So if we're worrying, we could probably land. Now, I don't mean you've got a test tomorrow and you're a little bit anxious about it. That's not the worrying we're talking about. We're talking about the thing that ravages us inside. This constant anxiety and worry. If you have that in your life, you can probably ascertain the truth that mammon is a reality for you. You see, mammon is, if you look throughout history, the Babylonians, and, and actually if you look through all of the, the religions that worship multiple deities, you will see a version of mammon, a God that will provide for your needs. And men and women would come to these gods, and if you look throughout the ages, Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Hindus, all of these um, religions that have multiple deities, you'll see they bring sacrifice to some deity that promises them provision. And I want to tell you that this spirit, that this idol, that this deity is alive in our world. If you've ever driven into any part of Cape Town, you'll understand that opulence and wealth are the pursuit of people. They pursue it passionately. Why? Because there is a spirit of mammon in our world. This is a spirit that says that actually I put provision as my God. I put having things as my God. Now you might say to me, Tyler, well, what happens when we serve mammon? Well, I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, when you serve mammon, you're filled with doubt. You never know about tomorrow. You're filled with this constant doubt about, will I get to tomorrow? Will I have what I need? Even though the bank account might be full, we live with this constant doubt, this constant anxiety, this constant sense that we never have enough. You know how often I have to fight this in my own heart? Instagram is the devil when it comes to this. And I'll say it. Because we scroll through Instagram, we see these photographs of people living these lives. And what happens? The spirit of mammon rises up in us. I should have that. I need that. Why don't I have that? And all of a sudden, what do we do? We start to place provision in our own hands. We start to go, I'm going to get that. And we live with this never, ever being satisfied. You see, the Bible teaches us a principle called contentment. You do not trust easily. You know, when we live with the spirit of self-provision, we don't trust people easily. We don't give of ourselves easily. We don't say, God, I will give of myself in this situation because I am not trusting myself to replenish my needs. I'm trusting you to replenish my needs. We don't trust. We are controlling. We check the bank account 16 times a day just to make sure, just to make sure the balance is still there. See, we live wrecked by this reality. And I want to say to you that Jesus is not lying when he says you cannot serve two masters. Either you serve mammon or you serve God. 
And so what I want to share with us tonight is that actually, in order to serve God, we need to know who God is. And my first question to us tonight, and I really want to pose it as a question, not as a point, because actually we need to ask ourselves these questions. We need to ask ourselves. You can leave here this evening and go, wow, what a great word, or that was terrible, or whatever it might be. But unless you start to ask yourselves these questions, you will never find answers for yourself. When we find answers for ourselves, we live lives that count. And so the first question I want to ask tonight is, who is God? You see, without an answer to this question, we will never live with an an eternal perspective. You see, this question is the first question that gets challenged in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are enjoying perfect relationship with God. And then the enemy comes and he starts to lie. And what does he lie about? He very simply says this, surely God didn't. Surely God didn't. What is he doing? He's challenging who God is to us. And surely God, and then Eve responds. She says, no, God said we can have everything. We just mustn't eat of the tree of knowledge. We just mustn't eat of the tree of knowledge. And then, and she says, and he says to her, well, surely you won't die. Surely not. And what does she start to do? She starts to doubt who God is. Adam and Eve had the greatest privilege of walking with God face to face. And in one moment, they started to question the answer in their hearts to who God was. And you see, we can look at that and go, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. But no, actually, we do that in our own hearts every day. We hear these lies about you need to do better. You need to make more. You need to achieve more. And what do we start to do? We start to go, I'm not sure if God will provide. Yeah, I know he does it for the birds of the the sky and he does it for the fish of the sea. But I'm not sure he's going to do it for me. We start to believe the lie. It's the first thing the enemy skews and it leads to the fall of mankind. But then Jesus brings redemption. He says, actually, I'm going to right the wrong. I'm going to bring you back into relationship with the Father. Why? So that you can be in relationship with your provider again. So that the lie can be broken. So that the back of the enemy is broken. And we can trust our provider again. In the beginning of the sermon on the, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus prays a prayer, and most of us will know this prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And if you, when I was in school, we would say it frequently. If you've been around tables, and 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 you'll say it, and it's and it can be quite a trite prayer to pray. But actually, I believe that in that prayer, Jesus was teaching us how to view God. See, it starts with this simple statement. It says, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. When you pray to God, how often do you say Father? See, because we live on earth with these skewed views of who the Father is. But actually, God is our Father. He has our best interests at heart. So when God provides, He is providing what we need, not what we want. Why? Because He is our Father in heaven, and He knows what we need. But when we stop trusting that thing, we start to err back into this reality of, no, I can do it myself. I can be my provider. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be His name. His kingdom come, His will be done. You see, not only is he our father who who has our best interests at heart, who loves us deeply, who wants a future for us, but he is also Lord of all, which means he is in control of everything. 
So when we go, God, I'm not sure if God can provide for me. I want to tell you, so ma'am, the Bible says that every knee will bow at at the feet of Jesus. He is all powerful. You see why it is so important that we understand who God is? Because it is impossible to view him as a provider if we do not understand his character. If we do not understand that actually he is a father who loves us passionately. Actually, he is Lord who is in control of everything. And then it has this incredible statement. It says, give us today our daily bread. First, understand that he's your father. Understand that he is Lord over everything. That his kingdom is more powerful than any kingdom of the world. And then ask him, God, give me my daily bread. You see, that daily bread can mean spiritually, yes, spend time in the word. We are filled up by his presence and his word and his truth. But actually, it also means physical provision. And when we pray that prayer, when we say, God, give us our daily bread, we are fighting a spirit of mammon. We are saying, I will not trust the world for my provision. I will not trust myself for my provision. I will trust God for my provision. That is what we are doing when we pray that prayer. It is so powerful. See, Mammon says, I am my provider. Faith in God says, he is my provider. We've got to understand this because it changes the way we view our lives. You see, the reason we can't serve God and Mammon is very simply because by serving Mammon, you try to make yourself God. That's what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. They were saying that tree of knowledge, that thing that was only for God. The knowledge of good and evil was only for God. Adam and Eve were never supposed to know evil. They were supposed to know a relationship with the Father. And they took something that belonged only to God. Why? And in that moment, they tried to make themselves God. But I want to tell you, when we make ourselves God, it is with a very small G and a very small future. When we try to elevate ourselves onto the thrones of our lives, and guys, this is a reality of of a a once-in-a-lifetime decision where you go, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. But actually, we make this decision every day. Every day, we go, God, I'm going to put you on the throne of my life. Today, the decisions I make are your decisions. Why? Because I'm not good at this thing. I am not good at running my own life. Look around you. You can start to understand, actually, we need a Savior. You see, an earthly perspective says that today's decision is determined by today's satisfaction. I make my decision today because I want something today. Actually, an eternal perspective says today's decision is determined by a future promised by an eternal Savior. All of a sudden, my decisions look different. My process looks different. Even my process around our nation right now changes when I understand that God has put me here. God has placed me here, and He has an eternal plan for me. My posture changes. You see, we have to understand that God is a good Father who loves us passionately, who is more powerful than we could ever imagine, who has got us in the palm of his hand, and the world could never provide an inch of what God can provide. Not an inch. But we so quickly try and take that little bit. We start to serve this this mammon reality, this I can provide for myself. Rather than saying, actually, Father, I can't do this. I need you. So powerful. Who is God to you? Ask yourself this question daily. Father, teach me who you are. I want to tell you tonight, we say this frequently as a leadership and as a church, God speaks. Ask him who he is. He will speak to you. 
We want a, a heavenly, eternal perspective on these things. Number one, who is God? Number two, what is giving? Now, you might be going, well, what does given, giving have to do with mammon? How do these two things fit together? Well, I want to tell you that giving is one of the most powerful gifts God has ever given to us. And tonight, I want to ask you, well, what is giving to you? Can we actually leave that slide up as I speak around it? Because I just want us to contemplate these things. What is giving to you? I'm going to say a few things that I believe giving is. And as I say them, I pray that they would bring an understanding to you of how powerful it is to give. You see, the opposite of trusting ourselves for provision is believing that everything belongs to God. At the root of giving is understanding that it wasn't mine in the first place. At the root of giving, when I give, I'm saying, God, actually it all belongs to you anyway. What do you want me to do with it? That's what we're saying. See, mammon says, I need to store up. But faith in God says, actually, God, okay, what are my next steps with my finances, with my provision? How often do we ask that question, God, what should I do with my salary this month? Yes, budget. Yes, plan. Yes, do those things. Because I want to tell you tonight, giving is warfare. When we give, we are declaring to the world and to the enemy and to ourselves, God is my provider. God is my provider. When we give, we are saying, actually, I don't need to store this up. Why? Because I didn't even give it to myself in the first place. You see, I think God so often in the scriptures brings a parallel between provision, your salary, and work. We put them together. We say, I work, therefore I deserve. Actually, God says, no, work unto God, I'll provide for you. They're separate things. The salary that you get every month is because God is providing for you. Your work is a mechanism to bring glory to God. How often have you thought of separating those two things? My work is a gift given by God. In the garden we see God gave Adam and Eve work. He said, but he said first, he said, you can have all of this. But I want you to work the land. You see, provision and work are not linked. Work is a gift from God. Provision is a gift from God. See, it's a powerful truth when we understand it. You see, giving is warfare. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches a sermon on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He teaches the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us three secret weapons of the kingdom. Who wants to know what they are? Three secret weapons. I think this is amazing. I read this when I was 18 years old. It changed my life. Three secret weapons. Number one, he gives us prayer. He says, pray in secret. He says, don't show everybody that you're praying for them. Facebook, I prayed for you this morning awesome. But actually, no, he says, pray in secret. He says, fast in secret. Now, yes, we do corporate fast as a church, but actually God says that one of the weapons of the kingdom is to fast in secret. In the day of Jesus, the Pharisees would paint their faces white when they fasted. Why? Because they wanted everybody to know how spiritual they were. Actually says, no, pray in secret, fast in secret. And then he speaks about finances and he says, give in secret. Well, why must I give in secret? Well, because when we give in secret, we are saying, God, I trust you with this money. It's got nothing to do with my acclaim, with my glory, with my future, with my ability. No, God, I'm trusting you. Why is tithing powerful? Not because it's giving to the church. Tithing is powerful because I'm trusting God with that money. No one else knows I'm giving it. No one else knows I'm giving it. When that bucket goes around, it's not a, oh, the church needs to pay the water and lights this week. I promise you it isn't that. 
When that bucket comes around and I put my 50, 20, 10, 100, whatever it might be into that bucket, what I'm saying is, God, you are who you say you are. Every time I give, whether it be giving to the local church, whether it be giving to people who need, what I'm saying is, God, you are who you say you are. I'm making him my provider every single time. Giving is warfare. Secondly, giving is countercultural. You see, we live in a world that serves mammon, a world that says, store up your treasures. Jesus says, do not store up your treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven. See, mammon says, when I am in lack, it's an opportunity for unrighteousness. If you read in Luke 16, go read Luke 16, you will see that there is a manager, he gets let go, and all of a sudden he starts making a plan to get money. And he does a couple of unlawful things to get by. Actually, you know, when we serve a spirit of mammon and we step in lack, all of a sudden we're like, it doesn't matter how I get through this. It doesn't matter how I get to the other side. It doesn't matter how I get what I want. I just need to get what I want. And in the same, when we serve mammon and we have much, we never have enough. It feeds this reality. But actually, when we serve God, when we live a life of generosity, all of a sudden we see lack as an opportunity for faith. And we see much as an opportunity for faith. See, when we're in lack, we say, God, I need to trust you for what I need. And when we have excess or much, we say, God, how can I use this to advance your kingdom? And both questions are true of each other. See, it's a perspective change. All of a sudden, our money becomes a very different thing. Giving is countercultural. Giving is warfare. Giving is an action. You see, in order to see God do incredible things, we need to step out in faith. It means we need to do something. See, that's why we as a church so passionately believe in consistent, sacrificial, cheerful giving. Why? Because it does something in our hearts. A couple of years ago, I've told this story many, many times. A couple of years ago, I think it was four or so years ago, was in a tight financial spot. The salary wasn't making it. I had a couple of extra medical bills to pay. If you know anything about medical aids, you'll know they put 12-month waiting periods on everything. And so I needed medication as well as I had to see a doctor. It was costing me a lot of money. And actually, at the end of the month, things started to get tight. And so obviously in my mind, I thought, hey, you know, I can stop giving just for a, just for a month or two. Just so I can get ahead a little bit, and then I'll, I'll, I'll roll on. And Now, this is not a plug for tithing. This is a personal testimony. And after a few months went by, my anxiety levels went up and up and up and up. But I had more money. Whether it was 200 rand more or 50 rand more, I had more money to spend. But my anxiety and stress levels around provision were skyrocketing. And then one day, I decided I'm going to start giving again. And I remember that first month I gave. Guess what? It didn't get easier. My bills did not all of a sudden disappear. How cool would that be sometimes? But my heart changed. All of a sudden I wasn't anxious anymore. All of a sudden I wasn't stressing at the end of the month. Why? Because I declared in that moment when I gave, I was going, God, you are who you say you are. You are my provider. It's not my responsibility. It's yours, Heavenly Father. That is what giving does. Consistently means that I am consistently changing my heart. Sacrificially means that I am giving beyond myself, which means I am trusting God. You know, when you give out of your excess, that's awesome and do that. But when you give and it hurts a bit, 
That's when you're saying, God, I trust you. You see, these are, these are kingdom principles. And do it cheerfully. You know, the classic uh, wrapped arms when the bucket comes around on a Sunday. <laughs> Don't come near me. That's a very funny joke. But actually, we give cheerfully. We, give, we say, God, actually, I want to be happy about doing this. And lastly, giving is a response. You see, we do not give because we have to. The prosperity gospel teaches us that if you give, you will get more. I want to tell you that that is a lie. We do not give because we want more. We give because we have more than we need. We give because we have a Savior who died on a cross for us. We give because we have a Savior, a Father in heaven, who gave it all. He said, this is my one and only Son. I give Him to you so that you may have eternal life. You see, giving is not an action where we go, if I give today, I will receive double tomorrow. No, giving is a response to our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that He gave His one and only. He gave His Son Jesus on a cross so that I may have life. I don't know about you, but that stirs something in my heart. It stirs something in my heart to say, God, I want to respond to you. It breaks the back of the prosperity gospel. The gospel that says, if I give, God will give me more. No, God will give you exactly what you need. And he'll do it whether you give or not. But you need to give so that you can, your heart can be transformed. We respond to our Savior named Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In that one scripture, in that one scripture, we see a painting of eternity. We see a painting of an eternal perspective that will blow any of our minds. He gave the only one he had because he saw eternity for us. Now my response in that moment is simply to go, Jesus, you're incredible. You have everything. Everything I have is yours. I step away from the spirit of mammon that so quickly controls me. And I say, Jesus, I serve you and you alone. Can I ask us to stand? I'd love to pray for us. Father, as we stand here, can I just ask you just to close your eyes? Father, as we stand here this evening, I pray, Holy Spirit, that this truth, that we do not serve mammon, we serve a Savior named Jesus, would permeate our hearts, Father. Thank you, as your word says, God, if you provide for the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, will you not provide for your sons and daughters? Your word says that if you give good gifts, Father, if our earthly fathers can give remotely good gifts, how much more our Father in heaven? Father, I pray tonight our perspective of you would change. I pray for hearts in this room, God, that have grown cold, that are fearful and anxious and filled with anxiety about their future. I pray, God, in this moment right now, they would understand that you are a Father who loves them, who has their best interests at heart and who is obsessed with their hearts. Thank you, Father, that you will take us on journeys, God, so that you can have our hearts, God. Thank you that, Father, tonight we lay down our self-provision mentality. We say, God, teach us what eternity looks like. 
Teach us what it means to not store up treasures on earth, but store them up in heaven, God. Teach us what it means to sow into eternity, God. Teach us what it means to take what we have now and build something that will last forever, God. Teach us as your sons and daughters, God. We never want to stay where we are, Father. We know that we can't transform every thinking in one sermon, Jesus, but we can build slowly, one brick at a time, Jesus, asking you in every moment, transform our thinking. Transform our hearts, God. Teach us that you are our provider, that you are the one who makes a way, that you are the one who gives everything we need, Jesus. Tonight, we we bend our knee to you, King Jesus. We place you on the throne of our lives. We say, Spirit of Mammon, go. And we say, Jesus, you are our provider. In everything, we trust you. In everything, we trust you, God. I even pray for people right now in this room, Father, who are in debt. Thank you, God, that they would trust you to become debt-free. That they would start taking steps, God towards changing lifestyles, towards doing the things that they need to do to break the spirit of mammon in their lives, God. I thank you where circumstances have led to that, King Jesus. You would give them a way in the wilderness, King Jesus. Thank you that we would be a local church, Father. I pray for a radical thing. I pray that we would be a church that is free of debt. I pray that we would see miracles in that area, King Jesus. Radical provision. Why, God? Because you are our provider. We do not trust ourselves. We trust you, King Jesus.